Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Sydney Coach Replay Show. I'm your host, Corey Camp, and today I am extremely excited to have one of my new friends, Don Paris, on the show. Don's a retired professor of special education at Southern Connecticut State University, New Haven, plus an independent consultant since the 70s. He specializes in differentiated instruction, classroom management practices, especially secondary grades, um, has coached thousands of educators and hundreds of schools and agencies, really looking at our beginning staff, and has conducted several workshops and webinars on teacher mental health, um, which is our topic for today. So um, Don, welcome to the Coach Replay Show. Hello, Corey, and thank you for having me. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Yeah, and you and I have had several conversations, which is why I asked you to join us on the show, about teacher mental health. Um, it's definitely something that as, as coaches, we um, need to be aware of. And many of the coaches I've talked with are definitely aware of the, the mental strain and stress teachers are going through, um, especially this year. So today we're going to talk about how as coaches, we can identify and support teachers' mental health. So, um, yeah. Corey, just as a quick intro, um, starting in 2016, uh, after doing years and years of consultation and training, I noticed a lot of the newer teachers I work with seemed to keep repeating that message that everything was stressful, difficult, et cetera, mm -hmm. if they had behavior problems in their classrooms. So right. from that point till today, uh, I've done some workshops, done a lot of personalized coaching and webinars. So even in the last three to four years, this has suddenly become a very, very critical topic, even within the context of what I've been doing in Connecticut. Yeah. And, you know, uh, looking back at like new teacher project research, um, I had an episode with my colleague TJ Hoffman. We talked about Devolson. I'm sure you've heard of that. The dark evil vortex of late September, October, November. Oh, absolutely. It really is that, and 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 it's it's a it's a fun, a very real phenomenon that especially new teachers struggle with as they get going. Like the honeymoon period wears off very quickly after the first few days, oh, and classroom management issues start to to you know take over their lessons. And um, but add what we have here in 2020, which let's just be frank, 2020 is not at all what we imagined. This pandemic is and these less than ideal teaching situations um, are the way that we're having to confront them is a source of a lot of anxiety and stress for mm -hmm. teachers. Oh, true. So, so in your work, especially thinking about these last few months, can you tell us what you've noticed in your work regarding sure. the impact of the pandemic on teacher mental health? Mm -hmm. Why don't we look at slide three? I think that'll help us get conversation started. Uh, yeah, now this is a compilation of um, research that I've been studying besides my own experience out in the field. And again, this is just a simplistic overview, but I think it might alert coaches and or the teachers themselves to certain factors that are really impacting that mental health issue. So even on a simplistic level of discussion, I think these five or six points represent pretty much the whole canvas of the United States. Uh, and the research indicates that. So this is not something based on a region or a community or an area. 
So even thinking of your location, I'm in Connecticut. I think any teachers I've been associated with certainly would represent these stressors. I think particularly the second one down in blue, I'm seeing more and more students entering schools that have not mastered a lot of what I call readiness. Uh, language issues, as you can see here, the ability to reason, particularly socialization, just learning to cooperate, share, engage with peers, all of that is producing a lot of anxiety in some classrooms. Right. It's so uh, much more than just content for us as educators. Absolutely. We've got social emotional learning and absolutely. all of the behavioral aspects that are become more and more prominent, prominent diversity and equity issues as well in classrooms that we're trying, we're trying to do it all. So yeah, we certainly are. Just to prove a point in Connecticut, surprisingly, we're a very wealthy state. Roughly 50% of the students in our state require financial support with lunches and so forth and so on. So even in a wealthy area that I represent, there's a staggering number of kids coming to school with trauma, all kinds of negative life experiences, not having adequate parenting and rules and responsibilities, which then gets translated into the slide that we're looking at at this moment. I just wanted to uh, reference that behavior management. I'd be curious your thoughts on this as well. This is my absolute expertise. This is what I've done since the university as well as in my consultation. First, I would say, unfortunately, young teachers do not have adequate training to manage disruptive behavior. And I think the veterans have the opposite effect. They're relying on their traditional strategies, which to me, unfortunately, don't seem to have the same effect that they did five or 10 years ago, which is an indicator of why we're doing this session. So if you think about it, all of this is kind of like funneling, funneling into what comes next. You see yeah. that issue with teacher training, though, just in general? I do. And behavior has an area I supported a lot as well um, when I was at a regional service center. Um, and in special education, you and I have some parallels in our, right. in our careers. Um, and behavior is hard because um, when we're coaching around classroom management and supporting teachers and helping to manage and support be effective student behaviors, it's highly personalized. But usually oh. by the time we as coaches need to step in, it is, they, they feel like this is, um, and, and I remember feeling this sometimes about some of the students where I struggled with finding the right method for behavior management um, to support them in their learning. Sometimes it felt like it was an individual attack, like this student just doesn't like me and, you know, they won't listen to anything that I'm trying to do and I have no idea how to get through them. And it's, it really digs at, a, at us as educators at a very personal level. And so um, that's sure. hard. And it's a big topic right now when we're thinking about how do we manage behavior we're in hybrid and online mm -hmm. and socially distanced, right? Um, my three kids started uh, kindergarten last week, or not three kids started kindergarten. I did not have triplets. Right. Thank goodness. Uh, I have three. I've, I, I, talk, I talk about my kids a lot. So those who are not first time listeners know that I've got it this year. They started online kindergarten with my youngest. My middle is in third grade and my 
oldest is in fifth grade and uh, the first week of uh, online kindergarten, my kindergartner was really excited to great on the first day. And she just has morning kindergarten, which pretty much consists of mm-hmm. a uh, live Zoom meeting at nine and then another one at 11. And then oh. she may be pulled for small groups. Everything else is flipped um, for her and some online activities. But the new uh, wore off by day three and she's like getting up to go get herself a snack out of the kitchen in the middle of a teacher lesson. I'm like, no, you can't just walk, get up and walk away when Miss Gibbs is talking and um, the, okay, we need to do our next, uh, it's time to do our calendar video. And she's like uh, all the eye rolls. She's very much a a teenager in the, in her little five-year-old body. body, But I mean, this is, this, and I think the kindergartner teacher did, her teacher's done a, a really good job at talking about expected and unexpected behaviors and mm-hmm. um, helping students identify awareness behaviors on when they're in like the green right. zone and ready to learn. But then, you know, they're not, she's not physically with the children and in front of the two no. children to be able to help no. reinforce. And um, so it, it is, it is definitely something that many, many teachers are trying to figure out. How do I keep my kids engaged? How do I promote strong learning behaviors um, and how do I go about managing those behaviors one way or another? So and, definitely. And, a topic. Yeah. And thinking about this year, just to follow your example, this is pretty uncharted territory. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. even if you've got kind of natural management skills, mm-hmm. if Johnny's at home and you're alive in a school, that's a whole different dynamic. You're going to yeah. need to have, engaging lessons, a lot of drama and excitement on the web, and uh, most of all, credibility, which is a word I use a lot. Mm-hmm. If you're credible, kids will generally respond. If yep. you don't Student have choice in voice, credibility. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And if you're not a naturally dynamic, high energy person, I think we're going to see an increase in these issues. I bet it's going to be somewhere about the end of September as you said, the honeymoon phase. Mm -hmm. And now it's all going to become a reality, particularly if it's going to continue for a long block of time. Yeah. In fact, if we go to the next slide, which is a perfect connection. Mm -hmm. Oh, you have to click on that. You have to click on that on your end, Don. I'm sorry. Hang on. Learning all these procedures. (laughs) Bear, Bear with me. I'll get it right. There we go. And we talked about this just briefly before becoming uh, online. Now we're going to add an absolute unknown. What is the effect of the coronavirus on all of the above? And if the readers just scan the four points here, if you look at the item in the green, nothing like this has occurred in the public arena since the 1940s. Yes, which is a while back. And now the bottom line and the kind of maroon, we need a whole training repertoire to help people cope with the inevitable. Even if this is for a short duration of time, it's still gonna be a completely different scenario. I have a little empathy for the new teachers coming in. They're gonna be tech savvy, but that's not the same as managing the scenario that we just described in the prior slide. Yeah, transferring our pedagogical skills and the, what works best for 
a, a new setting for our online learners and, and doing every what we so we still do the same thing, right? We still have the same responsibilities to um, provide engaging lessons, to move children forward, to have um, all of those things as part of what we do. It's just happening in a new setting, which sometimes doesn't make a huge change for us. It's still about making connections. It's still about being there for our students. But then in other in other areas, it is a dramatic shift and a complete redesign. So, so then Don, yeah, I, I want to jump into another question. How does all of this stress, regardless of whether it's stemming from the coronavirus or how we're how we're working in our env new environments mm -hmm. or anything else, uh, maybe it's not at all related to our jobs, but we're under a lot of stress. How does that impact um, our abilities as professionals? I'm going to go to the next slide because I think that kind of puts some perspective to it. Uh, obviously, uh, this is, again, going to be a broad presentation on that. But I thought we could look at three points that connect to the coronavirus in particular. Uh, can you see all right there? Everything's... I can, yeah. All right. So if you consider a traditional instructional format, which has been in place for eons, particularly for the veterans, obviously. Now three things are gonna be radically different, which I believe are gonna have profound impact on teachers' skills first, then their emotional and psychological composure. So think of the first point. We no longer are gonna have the same interpersonal bonding with students. Why do people enter the profession? That has to be one of their primary motivations, correct? Mm -hmm. enjoy spending time with children. I would have to say if it were me, particularly at the elementary level because of their kind of response to authority and so on. But imagine now that you're going to go to distant learning, no matter how skilled you are, it just can't be, you can't replace the bonding and a, the emotional connection with the students, even with Zoom and phone conversations and Zoom meet. I, I just don't think it's the same. And I know from teachers I worked with this spring, that was one of the first things they mentioned to me. And they were at the secondary level, mostly middle and high school. The next point is a little bit more of a behavioral comment. How do we respond to students who are non-compliant? Now, you've been in the business for a while. You certainly know that's a pretty substantial number of students. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say especially around the middle school level because of their need to socialize and go through that stage of identity development. So some of the kids have learned real quickly, it's not the same as me being live in a room where you have supervision and management of me face to face. Now I'm, I can resist, I can be disruptive, non-compliant, off task. So I do think that's gonna create a tremendous amount of response from teachers, particularly those who, again, are not natural engaging students. You can see that point, I'm sure, automatically, correct? Mm -hmm. And then the last one, let's argue that there is gonna be some degree of duration to this. I know in Connecticut, some districts thinking it's gonna go at least through October, November, and then possibly into 2021, if it doesn't get resolved before the new year begins. That, to me, adds on another dimension to this level of stress. I think 
you're going to see a lot of administrators struggle to cope with this part of the discussion. They're going to have to develop a whole level of different support and engagement, which we'll talk about toward the end. Uh, by the way, just as a kind of harrowing statistic, and again, this is all research-based, it's not me alone. One study I read said 60% of teachers are chronically stressed on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. not, not intermittent, not random, but chronic. And about 58% said because of that, they're starting to develop mental health uh, conditions, problems, issues that require intervention. That's pretty startling if you think about it, correct? Right, right. Well, and I, I think I think as as we think about our roles as as coaches, it's thinking about just as a teacher has to think about student social emotional learning, their um, their mental health. We, we've been a lot of studies have come out, especially recently, around trauma and growth, um, no our ability to grow. Um, so that we've been looking at it at the student level, but the same applies for teachers. No, if we are we're struggling with trauma from um, the fear and the worry of um, our own health or our, yeah. our children's health or the yeah. impact yeah. of the jobs having on us. Um, or, you know, um, I've been quarantined for a while and I'm feeling isolated or um, I really need to get away from, get some alone time <laughs> from my family. Um, you know, all of those things really do, really do impact us. So, so I have a question for you, Don. Um, yeah. As a coach, I think it's really important that in addition to having conversations, and many coaches that I know are not looking to really start growth coaching cycles until mm -hmm. the end of September, October. Um, you know, right now they're just that supportive role, which as they should be as, as everybody's kind of getting the new learning management system under their belt and getting mm -hmm. students situated and all of those things. And I know in my coaching conversations, I always like to start with some some connection. Um, I'm a relater, and so I feel like I have to relate with you. How are you doing? How's it been? How's this going? Um, before I can get into the business conversation of coaching, and um, I, sometimes I've had teachers I'm working with that are very open, and they openly share. I'm just this is taking up all my mental capacity, or I'm so worried about this. Mm -hmm. And I have other teachers who put on a, a strong, bright smile and say, everything's going great. So what are some ways as coaches that we can identify that a teacher who may say they are fine isn't? What are some ways that we can do that? And then how can we be proactive in supporting teacher mm -hmm. mental health? Let's go to the first part. I'll show you uh, another slide on that matter. All right, can you see that one all right? I can, yeah. Pardon me for a second. Uh, first thing, I want to make a quick comment about everything you just said in so many words. I've known this over the last four or five years, and I'm assigned primarily to the new, <clears throat> excuse me, early career faculty in any given location from pre-K all the way up to 12th grade. Mm -hmm. More and more, I'm giving emotional and pardon the term counseling kind of support way less than giving advice and input and feedback. And I've noticed that I would come home, think 
Hmm. Ten years ago, if I met you, by example, I would have said, okay, Corey, here's a few ideas. Consider them. I'll be back in three weeks and we'll continue this interaction. None of that proves true whether the teachers are superior in skill and or the most inexperienced novice. But I'm going to have to say in summation, the younger teachers desperately want that bonding, that kind of trustingness, trustworthiness, uh, just a feeling of emotional support. So even if we look at this list of indicators, you can see that's a pretty substantial um, outline of different realities that are evident of teachers having a lot of stress in their personal situation. Yeah. So again, just by sheer conversation, imagine you have a school of X number of teachers. And these indicators are prevalent. My goodness, this is going to ultimately affect instruction, morale, teacher performance, just pick out anyone, reluctance to adjust. How significant is a factor like that? You're the, you're the principal, you send out a memo, we're gonna do X, Y, and Z. Let's say our 80% argumentatively will respond. Now we're gonna have this cohort of people who need to be persuaded using my word, and you can't do it using a formal punitive kind of style this is going to come down to interaction and kind of that warm, fuzzy feeling that gets established between both sides. So some of the schools I go to, I actually get assigned to these younger teachers in particular for that exact reason, because administrators are busy. It's a hairy kind of situation with a whole lot of responsibility and not enough time or freedom to do what's necessary. Uh, even pick emotional physical exhaustion look at teachers with high rates of absenteeism teachers who are avoiding coming in on critical days where they have to report and this again is an exploding reality certainly i know in connecticut i've gone to schools where some teachers will have 30 to 30 days of absence and or health reasons in, a, in an entire school year okay. that's extraordinary correct yeah, it absolutely is. And, um, and I think these, I, I love this list. So, so for those who are listening to us uh, via podcast, um, what, what Don shared is inadequate preparation, incomplete assignments, reluctance to adjust, general apathy, Ooh. conflicts with colleagues and, or parents, behavior yes, management yes. struggles, emotional or physical exhaustion and chronic absences. And I, I do think these are um, I love that, that you've kind of got this list and, and it might start out with just, um, you know, we, we identified some things that we'll maybe work on in our next meeting. Yeah. Here I am in our next meeting and, and you're going, oh, I completely forgot or, <laughs> oh, I don't quite have that or exactly I just didn't get right. a chance to do that. And that happens. I mean, life happens and um, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that that teacher might be overly stressed. Maybe this was just mm -hmm. kind of a, a rough week, a long week. Correct. But if you start to see that happen more and more, or 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 I could always tell when I'm working with a teacher if I um, we we're talking about some different ideas, and I get a lot of that won't work, that won't work, that's not going to work. Yeah. I've tried that. Happens Absolutely a lot with right. behavior um, coaching, and um, it's it 
definitely is an indicator that there's something deeper lying in mm-hmm. that. You need to maybe put on a, a, a counseling hat, some um, compassionate coaching, as uh, one of uh, our mm-hmm. friends, Kathy Perrett, says. So, yeah, I love that. I, I love that you've kind of got some of these things. I think it would be, uh, Don, I think it'd be great to have you. We're kind of at the end of our time for the show sure. today. Have you come back and talk with us about, all right, we've identified, we understand this this big Mm -hmm. impact on both learning and our profession. And we've identified some of the manifestations of um, some, some lacking mental health. Um, And so now what can we do to support that? So I want to encourage our audience, if you've got a question for Don, put it in the comments below as he and I prepare to have him come back for another show to talk about some proactive ways to support teacher mental health, whether that's at the campus level or Mm -hmm. as a, individual coach. Um, let us know what questions you have. Uh, your takeaways today, Don, have a ton of resources. So I'm super excited for folks to find those. And remember, you can download those in uh, the Learning Center, learn.sydney.com. Don, as we wrap up our conversation, at, at least this first half around teacher mental health, do you have any um, closing notes or anything for the audience today? Uh, I think it's two pronged. First, Assume that it does exist. I know this sounds comical. I think a lot of districts, certainly any I've associated with, they're not giving it its just due. This is a this is part of the term an epidemic. All the research indicates that you could leave here, go on anything published in 2020. It's chapter and verse about teacher mental health. So I think this is kind of a topic that's slightly below the, the list of priorities because of the pandemic and because of the change in the instruction. Mm-hmm. But the second thing is whoever's providing the coaching, either through you or just independently in a given location, they've got to be way more nurturing, compassionate, respectful. A lot of those kinds of interactions are going to make the difference. And then, then I think obviously, The system has to provide resources, including community-based expertise, correct? Right, right, absolutely. I mean, now is really, again, those those manifestations that you shared um, as these indicators of stress, those can really chip away at your campus culture, psychological safety, the collective efficacy is hard to build with that. And those are things we need. We need each other. We need our communities right now. We need to lean on no others. So, um, well, Don, this has been a great conversation. I love anytime oh, I get a chance to talk to someone you. about psychology as that was my original career path and major. And so- Mine too, um, by the way. Yeah, yeah so, so many parallels, Don. All right, well, we will have you back for another episode in the next Thank couple of weeks. Audience, don't forget to give us a a comment below. If you've got a question for Don, you'd like him to address in the next Mm -hmm. show, um, be sure to download notes and takeaways. And don't forget to follow us on your preferred social media platform or give us a like on podcasts if you're enjoying this this season's episodes. Um, Otherwise, we will see you guys next week for another episode of the Sydney Coach Replay Show. Thanks, you guys.